In the wake of thanksgiving, our hearts are filled with gratitude and the blessings that the Lord has rained down upon us because we are his children. And for the child of God, I don't think there's any greater blessing or greater gift that we need to give God praise for than the gift of salvation. If you are here today and you are a child of God, do me a favor and let's give the Lord some praise for our salvation. Amen. Sometimes we just need to stop and think about all that God has done. Psalm 150 verse 6 proclaims, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And I believe that there's no living creature on this earth that breathes that has more reason to praise the Lord than redeemed humanity. Today's message is a message for the child of God. We are going to learn about a burden that blesses. And I believe that our text today, we will see another response that we should have in light of our great salvation. We recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And we give God praise and honor. But I think with salvation, there's more to it that we can give God. And today, I pray that we learn these lessons. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. And as you're turning there, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, Lord, we just stop and give you praise, honor, and glory. Lord, you are sovereign. You are in control of all things. And Lord, you sovereignly put each and every person in this room today for your kingdom and your glory. And Lord, I pray now that as we break open your word, Lord, that you will use it to cut us to our hearts, to transform us in and through the power of your Holy Spirit. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen. Heroes are born out of adversity. And many times their motivation to act on behalf of others is coming from some experience that has happened in their life. And for the believer, what we do for God comes out of a life-transforming experience with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we look through the annuals of Christian history, we see that there are many heroes of the faith. And today I want to introduce you to one that you may have never heard of. His name is George Lyle. George Lyle is a giant of our faith. He was born a slave in Virginia around 1750. And at the age of 23, he began He was saved and he began serving the Lord soon after teaching and preaching his fellow slaves. His master, Henry Sharp, recognized the good work that God was doing in and through George. So he set him free. He let him go so that he could go and be a part of the work that God had planned for him. And historians believe that he was the first African-American pastor to be ordained in North America. 
But time would have it, and the Revolutionary War came. George worked when, as a slave in the household of Henry Sharp, who was a loyalist to the British crown. And because of that, he had to flee. And he had to flee to Jamaica. And in order to get there, he had to sell himself back into slavery to pay for his trip to Jamaica. Now, any other circumstances, we would say he had every right to focus on himself He had every opportunity, and he needed to gain back his freedom, which he did. But what happened in Jamaica is amazing. He preached the gospel. He planted churches, and he did not worry about himself, but he worried about the kingdom of God. George Lyle went to Jamaica as a missionary in many ways 10 years before William Carey started the, the, the modern mission movement. Isn't that awesome? And we know so little about him, but he was going to the nations. And in order to get there, he became a slave. God moved in the life of George Lyle and gave him a burden that blessed thousands. And I believe today that we are going to learn from our passage about a burden that blesses that the Apostle Paul had. And much like George Lyle and much like the Apostle Paul, we need to have a burden that blesses. If you know anything about the book of Romans, The book of Romans is actually a letter that was written to the church at Rome by the Apostle Paul towards the end of his third missionary journey. Now, Paul did not plant the Roman church. He actually had never been there, and he was hoping to visit. But he had heard about their faith, and he wanted to write them something, and he was going to visit so that he could impart some spiritual truth. And this letter, in many ways, was paving his way before he got to the city. And he wrote a theological letter that allowed the Romans to understand the foundation of their salvation and justification. You quote Romans all the time. Romans 1.16, Paul writes, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why do we need salvation? Well, he tells us, Romans 3.10, There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans chapter 4, he paints this beautiful picture of how Abraham was not saved by what he did, He could not keep the law because the law was not even written yet. Abraham was saved by his faith. He was justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Romans chapter 5, we see that sin entered into the world through one man, Adam, and sin was defeated by one man, Jesus. In Romans chapter 6, Paul points it out really clear. He says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
In Romans chapter 7, he talks about this war that rages between our flesh and our spirit. And then Romans 8.1, he says, Now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in the last verses of Romans chapter 8, he proclaims nothing, I'm going to say it, nothing separates us from the love of God. That's the book of Romans, and that's just the first eight chapters. Now we step into Romans chapter 9, where our text is going to come from. Romans chapter 9. I believe we see a picture of the Apostle Paul opening his heart to the Roman church. And he lets them in to his emotions and all that he is feeling. Look with me in Romans chapter 9. Verses 1 through 5. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. I believe in our text today we are going to find four characteristics of a burden that blesses. Four characteristics of a burden that blesses. And the first characteristic is this. A burden that blesses begins in the spirit. A burden that blesses begins in the spirit. The term burden normally is used negatively or with a negative connotation to it. You've heard or used sayings like this. That's just my burden to bear, or I don't want to be a burden. Normally, these sayings don't bring warm, fuzzy feelings to your heart. The Apostle Paul uses the term burden in Galatians 6.2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul is calling the Galatians to help those who are struggling. See, burden implies a struggle a battle, something that brings pain or discomfort. And we as human beings do not naturally gravitate towards burden or discomfort. In fact, we flee from it. We flee from pain. We flee from discomfort. Think about moments in your life where you have tried to run away from pain. Some of you don't go to the gym on a regular basis because you know what the next day is going to feel like. That's just true. Some of us don't have conversations that need to be had because we don't want to have to deal with the consequences and the pain that's going to come from those difficult conversations. We run for them. We run from them. Whatever it is in your life that you're running from, whatever pain, whatever discomfort, whatever burden that you're running from, we try to avoid it. 
However, to identify with Christ means that you are willing to deny the natural tendencies of the flesh and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Many times the Holy Spirit will lead you to bear a burden that your flesh does not want to bear. It will lead you to do things that you don't want to do. But you gladly bear that pain. You gladly bear that discomfort because the Holy Spirit, God, is telling you to. We believe and we do these things. We go towards pain as believers because we understand that our life is not our own. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and following makes it clear. Paul writes, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and in fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Did you catch verse 16? Verse 17, it says this, If we indeed suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. As a child of God, we not only inherit the blessings of God, but we inherit the sufferings of Christ. It's a part of our life. A child of God, a believer, a Christ follower, is a burden bearer. You don't have an option. You must bear a burden. The question is, are you going to bear a burden that blesses? Romans 8 verse 18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present moment are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we can walk through suffering knowing that what is to come is far greater than what is to be right now. That's the hope that we look towards. That's what we are living our life for. So before Paul, before Paul pours out his heart in the remainder of these verses, he testifies that his conscience and the Holy Spirit are in sync. He is walking in the Spirit. He proclaims, I am telling you the truth in Christ. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. If you were not a child of God, then you are not carrying a burden that blesses. Because apart from the Spirit, you can't. You can try, but it will fall short. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ in order to have a burden that blesses. A burden that blesses must begin in the Spirit. But a burden that blesses does not end there. A burden that blesses also troubles your heart. 
Listen to verse 2. That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. The burden which begins in the spirit goes directly to the heart. Paul has great sorrow and unceasing grief in his heart. Now the heart here is not talking about that part of your anatomy that pumps blood all across your body. That's not what we're talking about here. In fact, what Paul is talking about, he's talking about that part of your soul where the sensibilities, the affections, the emotions, the desires, the appetites, and the passions, that's where it resides. So Paul is really feeling a deep down soul hurt that is continually increasing and unceasing. The word sorrow in our text carries with it this connotation of heaviness. In essence, Paul is mourning today in these verses. He is mourning. And mourning is a very personal part of the human experience. I am sure that every one of you in here at some point in your life, have experienced loss. Where something or someone that you love has been torn apart from you. And the grief that follows is many times overwhelming. And today I want you to think about that time in your life where you experienced great loss and you mourned that's exactly what Paul is feeling in this text I want you to understand that Paul is mourning over people people he has never met but the thought of thousands dying separated from Christ caused Paul unceasing grief and sorrow In the light of this truth, I want you to consider this. When is the last time you mourned over the 157,000 people that will enter eternity today with no saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? It's a sobering number. 157,000 people will step into eternity today with no hope. Paul was mourning for his kinsmen. Are we mourning? The blessings that come from this type of burden is not self-centered. We have to understand that a burden that blesses it begins in the spirit, it troubles the heart, but thirdly, It is others-focused. And this is significant for us. It is others-focused. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, 
who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoptions as sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. In these verses, we learn that Paul is burdened for his kinsmen according to the flesh. And to make sure there is no confusion, he explains who his kinsmen are in verses 4 and 5. His kinsmen were the Israelites. And we know that Israel has a special place in the heart of God. God chose the nation of Israel to be his son, and we see that in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. The Lord is giving Moses his message to the Pharaoh, and the message that he was to proclaim is this. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel, my son, Israel is my son, my firstborn. And every phrase in verse 4 and 5 connects to the Old Testament, identifying that Paul's kinsmen are the Israelites. But Paul is not the only person in Scripture that has experienced or exhibits this type of burden for the Israelites. We see it as well in the life of Moses. In Exodus chapter 32, picture this, the Israelites have escaped from Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. They have come to the bottom of Mount Sinai. And now their leader, Moses, is at the the top of Mount Sinai meeting with God. The Bible describes a great cloud over the mountain. The children of Israel are down at the bottom of the mountain and they get restless not knowing what has happened to their leader. And what we do many times they did is they started to make their own way. And their own way was to create a God that they could worship. And Aaron took their gold, took their earrings that the Egyptians had just given them as a gift and formed a calf, a golden calf, and started worshiping a false God. This stirred up anger in the Lord. And in Exodus 32, we see an interaction between the people of Israel and Moses, and then Moses, and the Lord. And I want you just to hear Moses' heart for his people. Exodus 32, verse 30 says, And on the next day Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now... Listen to what he says. But now, if you will, if you will, God, forgive their sin. If not, please blot me out from your book, which you have written. Paul and Moses were burdened for the Israelites so much that they were willing to be separated from God so that their kinsmen would be saved. Paul understood that apart from Christ, his brothers and sisters would die and be separated from the love and mercy of God in an eternity of hell. It was a reality for him, and his soul ached because of that reality. Our burden that blesses has to be others-focused, and this is the great battle of our day. 
We live in a world that is self-centered. When you look at the movements of things on social media, in our culture, it is all about us. And it happens outside the church, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, it happens inside the church too. We believe that so many of the things are for us, and if it's not the way that we want it, it needs to change. We have an epidemic, if you will, of self-centeredness. But a burden that blesses is others-focused. A burden that blesses puts your life on the line for the salvation of others. Do you have a burden for the lost? Do you pray for the lost to be saved? Do you actively share the gospel? Are you seeking opportunities to know lost people? That is the only way that we can overcome self-centeredness and have a burden that blesses, that is others-focused. And this brings us to our fourth and final characteristic of a burden that blesses and probably the most important thing that we need to understand. A burden that blesses involves sacrifice. Paul expresses it in this way. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren. Paul is ready and willing to give up that which he just declared is impossible. How did I tell you about Romans chapter 8? How did it end? That we cannot be what? Separated from the love of God. Listen to this. Romans 8, verse 38, he says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Nothing can separate us. But understand this. Paul knew in his heart that he could not be separated from God. But yet he longed for it so that his kinsmen can be redeemed. So he could not sacrifice his relationship with God, but he sacrificed his life instead. He gave everything he had so that others would come to know Jesus Christ. We get a glimpse of Paul's sacrifice and how he lived his life to the fullest in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to summarize it. But just think about this. Paul, in giving his testimony, he talks about imprisonments. He talks about how he received the 39 lashes of the Jews five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked. Dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers for the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the seas, dangers from among false brethren. He gave his everything. Why? Because he believed that I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He sacrificed everything. This type of sacrifice comes with a cost. Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? 
as I started preparing for this message and I was thinking about this point, a story came to my mind from my past and I thought I would share it with you. I know this sounds weird, but just bear with me. A few years ago, my son Gray wanted a bearded dragon. Isn't he cute? I mean, in all of his glory. Uh, he wanted a bearded dragon, and to be honest, I am not a pet person at all. I, I don't really care for pets. I'm, I'm just lost half the crowd. I'm so sorry. Um, but Gray, he begged for this lizard. Ashley and I do what all good parents do is we put the decision off as long as possibly could, but we finally relented around his birthday. He was going to use some of his money, and we were going to use some of our money, and we're going to bring it together to buy this lizard for Gray. So we did. We went to our local pet store, and uh, we walked in, and we started looking at everything, and we went to the case and saw the terrariums and was engaged in all of those different things. And then an associate, which I believe to be an act of God's sovereignty, uh, came up and started talking to us. And she happened to own two or three of these lizards, and she started telling us everything that it took to care for this lizard. And the more she talked, the bigger our eyes got, and we began to realize, I don't think we need to be adoptive parents to a bearded dragon. We had the money for the startup cost, but she told us through this, she said, well, from the first nine months, a bearded dragon needs to eat about 30 to 60 crickets a day. And those crickets cost anywhere between three and five cents. I started doing the math. It was more than I wanted to pay. <laughs> so we compromised and we settled for a betta fish. I thought it was a good trade-off. <laughs> you know, they're pretty replaceable, and it happens from time to time. I know this is a silly story, and it's all true. I, Gray's on the front row. He can tell you. But I believe that many of us, many of us understand that our burden that we carry involves sacrifice. But many of us have settled for a beta fish faith. We know what it costs. We know what we need to do. You have been sitting in these seats for years. Underneath some of the most God-ordained preaching that has come across our country. But some of us are still living on a beta fish faith. Are you willing to count the cost? Are you willing to sacrifice? Paul wishes that he would be accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of his lost brethren. He spent his life his comfort and his resources to proclaim the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Church, we began this message by praising the Lord for his great gift of salvation, but I need you to understand that this gift is not one that should end with you. It should not end with me. But we must pass it on to others even when it leads to sacrifice. A burden that blesses begins in the spirit. 
It troubles your heart. It's others focused. It involves sacrifice. This type of burden, it drives and motivates us to share the only solution to the world's problems. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some have said that the world's greatest problem today is lostness. And we as believers have the answer. When you have a burden that blesses, you are walking in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. But more than that, you are walking in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Savior had a burden that blessed. In Luke chapter 4, 17, we see that Jesus' burden began in the Spirit. He read from the book of Isaiah, and he fulfilled the prophecy. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord. Jesus' burden began in the spirit, and in the garden of Gethsemane, we see how that burden that would bless all of humanity, troubled his heart. In Matthew 26, verse 37, it says, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to grieve and be distressed. He said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Finally, in Mark chapter 10, verse 25, we see that Jesus' burden was others focused and it involved great sacrifice. Mark 10, 45, Jesus proclaims that his mission is this, for even the son of man would come, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We know from the Gospels that Jesus was the perfect example of someone that has a burden that blesses. And I believe in your, if you're in this room and you're a child of God, you know that you need to grow in this area. We all do. So how do we do that? How do we begin to have and grow our burden that will bless the world? First, we need to pray, church. We need to pray that the Lord will give us a burden for others. We need to pray for the lost. And we need to pray for opportunities to share. Secondly, we need to give. To give is to sacrifice. Are you willing to give and to sacrifice your time, your talent? your treasure to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we need to learn. We all have lessons to learn, but we need to learn about the lostness in our neighborhoods, in our nation, and in the nations. Some of you today need to learn how to share the gospel. You know that you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you don't know how to share your faith. Our church is ready to equip you in that. 
And then some of you need to learn how you can best reach your neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then fourthly, you need to look. You need to look around with the eyes of Christ and find the lost wherever they can be found. In today's passage, we see Paul's burden for the lost, but we need to know that he had other burdens as well. Burdens that he gladly took up. He had a burden for the church. What does it mean for us to have a burden for the church where we come and we worship and we live and we can help fulfill the vision of our church? What about a burden for the vulnerable, those that have no voice, those that have no one sticking up for them? What about a burden for your family that don't know Christ? What about the burden for sick? Church, is there any other time in our history that we need to be coming alongside and standing in the gap for our pastor? In the midst of this diagnosis, we need to be willing and just put ourselves in their places. That's what burden, bearing a burden is. You are putting yourself in their place and you're saying this how they feel, and you are doing what you can do to help alleviate it. We've got to bear a burden. Are you bearing a burden? Do you have a burden that blesses? How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Fall on your face and ask God to give you a burden for the lost, a burden for others, a burden that is beyond yourself, and he will give it to you.